Hello, my name is Tyler Chisholm and welcome to a special episode of Collisions YYC Current and Critical, a focus episode where I sit down with local leaders to discuss the topics of the day. I'm talking with Justin Haver, longtime realtor in Calgary. How long have you been a realtor in Calgary, Justin? I've been a realtor for just over 15 years now. Nice. And I certainly have lived in Calgary for about 20 years and I've seen you, I've seen your face around town. It's not, you know, first time you and I are chatting, but definitely you've done a very, I think a fantastic job of putting yourself out there and creating awareness, which is, you know, you can't buy from someone you don't, you don't, you don't know, or you don't know about. And so I'm excited today. Thanks for like understanding a little bit of insights around like also how you've made your business successful and how it's continued to be successful. But I'm, what I'm really curious to pick your brain about is you've been living and breathing residential real estate in the city for the last 15 years. So maybe let's, let's pivot back to that a little bit of perspective of kind of what, like what's the last couple of years been like versus the 10 years prior. And ultimately the crystal ball question of where do you see things going and like, I don't know, what's your, what's your insights on the road, on the road ahead? Yeah, you know what? That's a great question, Tyler. I mean, uh, obviously, I got into business 15 years ago, and it's a completely different market now than it was back then. I believe it was down in—I uh, say down—back um, in 2006, okay. where to, yeah, 2006, where we had like we were down to six, seven hundred active listings in the marketplace. And you would literally put a property on the market in the morning and at night you would have a lineup of people wanted to get in and see the property down to the sidewalk, right? Competing offers left, right, and center. I remember, you know, sitting there presenting offers to sellers and you have 10 cars sitting outside of the property because, you know, you're in a competing offer situation and you have all the agents sitting there with their buyers, you know, and I mean, that was uh, pretty interesting times, a lot of fun, but at the same time, very, very busy and hectic. And a lot of people weren't able to obviously get the properties they wanted because they were in a bidding war left, right, and center. You said six, or, years 700, later, six or 700 listings. Is a health, what, what is a healthy listing amount in Calgary? Is that like a 20? I've heard 2,500 to 3,000. I don't know where I've got that number stuck in the back of my head. Like what's, what was, what's healthy based on the size of our market just to give contrast? You know, like, I mean, right now we're sitting with roughly 6,500 listings. Okay. So right? yeah, just, just the extremes of 600 to 6,500 14 years later. <laughs> yeah. And then, I mean, in 2019, this time of year, we were sitting with roughly 7,600 listings, right? So we are seeing less listings on inventory this year than last year. And there could be obviously many factors for that. But going back, uh, you know, that was 2006, 2007. That's kind of when we saw the house prices skyrocket here in Calgary. Yep. Then in 08, 09, when we had the financial crisis uh, that impacted us globally, uh, we saw our active listings uh, count go up to 14,000. I believe it was well, okay. close to 14,000. So we had a ton of inventory. We... Um, you know, we had a lot of speculators in the marketplace as well, because obviously in the hot real estate market and people were, you know, buying spec homes or putting uh, down payments on condos and turning around, selling them as soon as they took possession and making 50 to 100 grand. And yeah, we got, there were a lot of speculators that were caught at that time with, um, with inventory. Right. So I, I always say that, you know, if you're going to invest in real estate, you should invest in it for long term, mm -hmm. not short term. And it's typically a very safe investment if you do that for long term. The right? key being long term say, versus, yeah, flipping versus long term, very two different. Yeah, things. I mean, if you're just, yeah, you know, flipping, uh, 
pretty risky, but I mean, again, it all depends on your tolerance to risk, right? Yep. I, and arguably the problem is it worked for a couple of years. Like there, you know, I had lots of friends as we all did that I'll call them arm, armchair real estate moguls because they were at the right place at the right time. They made a few flips, but then almost every single one of them got caught with two or three properties in 08, 09. Like, and all of a sudden yeah. the bottom like the, the, it's like your big win, your big win, your big win at the tables. And then all of a sudden you lose and the, and the house takes it all back literally. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of like gambling, isn't it? But that's also yeah. kind of like the stock market, right? Yes. Yeah. Day trading versus <laughs> buying holes, blue chips, dividends. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah. no, it's interesting you think back because if you, you know, I've been here since 2000, I kind of rode that roller coaster up. I didn't get into the buy sell, but I definitely, I had a few bumps in my net worth based on just having a house at the right time. For sure. Absolutely. I think yeah. a lot of people, there was a lot of advantage that came out of that as well. Yeah, no, there was, right? And I think that people realize that, you know what, maybe it's, uh, Maybe it's a little bit uh, tougher to uh, obviously do the speculating and, and that kind of stuff and maybe just invest in real estate and look at it from a long-term perspective. And uh, when you do that, I mean, that flushed out a lot of the speculators, which I think was good for the marketplace, right? Because mm -hmm. the more people you have entering it, just trying to make a flip one, it also can inflate the prices quite a bit as well. Right. right. I mean, we see a lot of that in uh, in the Toronto market, although now they're also having a little bit of challenges. But out there, I mean, they could, uh, you know, launch a condo project, sell it out in a day or two and takes a couple of years for them to build. And those people, they make some pretty good money on that investment. Right. But it's all speculation. Yeah. I have a friend who's a realtor and he told me he sold a house on the weekend on Saturday. I don't know the price range of the house. But he said, you know, had two competing offers and somebody came in with basically a bully offer, 210,000 over, over list. And he goes, they just wanted it and came in. So he goes, it's still happening. He goes, things are slowing a little bit, but he goes, it, it, there's still that kind of scarcity mindset and people that are willing to just throw money at, like, I need this house. I have to get into the market kind of mindset. Yeah. And you know what, as a, a real estate agent here in Calgary, and I mean, talking to a lot of my fellow peers and that kind of stuff, we always kind of, uh, you know, talk about the Toronto market or the, the former Vancouver market and kind of, you know, wouldn't that be nice so we could be able to sit down at the kitchen table with the seller and say, hey, you know what, guess what? We got you $200,000 over asking price. But you know, Versus different the conversations you're probably having right now, which are probably like, hey, sorry about your, the news, but we got to drop another 10%. <laughs> yeah, you know what? It, it, it's, it's funny. I mean, you're looking at the Toronto market, different challenges for sure. Uh, I have one friend out there who told me a story about one property that they listed. And in one week, they had over 500 showings. They had 83 registered offers. And it sold for 200 grand cash over asking price uh, but that means there's 82 other buyers that are still trying to find a property yeah and a lot of people wouldn't put their house up for sale because the uh you know there's no no house for them to buy Right. So why sell their house if they can't find their next home? So unless it creates reality, a lot of different you're leaving the market. Yeah. Unless you're leaving the yeah. market, you still need another place to live, right? <laughs> yeah. So that, that creates a lot of challenges. Now, the marketplace that we have here, if we're sitting between four and five months of inventory, it's a pretty healthy market. It allows most of the consumers to take some time and make an informed decision on perhaps their largest purchase. Right. Uh, sure. We've seen very active uh, market in the single family segment here since they opened up the lockdown, mm -hmm. which, you know, it hasn't been any record levels by means how uh, we've seen across other markets in in Canada. But it's been pretty healthy, especially for the single family segment under 600,000. A lot of competing offers, nothing like 
50, 100, 200 grand over asking price. But, you know, when it is competing, we typically see properties sell at list price or just above, okay. which, you know, makes it a pretty good story for the seller. Right. right. Although we have to, we have seen over the last few years, I mean, with the energy collapse in 2014, 2015, we had to make some some adjustments. And, you know, at first, sellers were, you know, very reluctant to uh, accept the reality of the marketplace, obviously, with uh, losing. I think I heard a number. It was close to five billion dollars a year in out annual salaries from downtown Calgary. Oh, wow. I haven't heard that number. That's a real, that's a real number. Annual, yeah. annual salary reduction of $5 billion. Wow. I have not heard that from, from downtown Calgary, from the, yeah. uh, from the 2015 energy collapse. Yep. Wow. That's a lot of money out of the economy. That's a significant number. Mm-hmm. Right. So especially if, uh, you know, those people, they have families to feed, houses or mortgages to pay. Mm-hmm. But what was really neat about that is that we didn't see a big influx of uh, foreclosures. Okay. I was, like, that, was less than one, that was my, less next, that was my next question because I didn't hear a lot about that. It felt no. like there was a lot of like rumors, like, oh, it's going to be bad, but I never heard that come to fruition. Yeah, no, I guess less than 1% of mortgages uh, went into uh, arrears or went into foreclosures. From what I heard, which is, you know, it just shows that, you know, the banks were working with the homeowners being creative and finding solutions. And at the same time, Calgarians are very resilient. You know, they were perhaps finding different means of uh, making an income and, you know, changing careers. Obviously, um, we're now seeing a little bit of a, a tech boom in Calgary, or at least uh, talk about it, how, yeah, it's you early know, days, but it's definitely starting to percolate. I'm quite excited about it, actually. Yeah, no, which is, which is very, very exciting for all of us. And, you know, obviously we want everybody that works in the energy industry also to be successful and uh, do well as well. But, uh, you know, the reality of, uh, of the energy sector right now is that it's under a lot of pressure. And that was even happening pre-COVID. And, you know, here in Alberta, I guess we're just uh, getting the one-two punch. And uh, we're getting (laughs) pretty used to it. But at the same time, it's like, you know, when is enough enough? Yeah, I think a lot of people might say now. I'd say like, you know, I think we're good. I think we're, you know, okay, we learned our lesson. We'll diversify. We'll focus on other things. (laughs) You know, those bumper stickers. Next time, I promise I'll save. I promise I'll spend less. So in terms of just, you you know, you and I chatted a little bit before I hit the record button. uh, Felt there was a little bit of momentum coming back in early January. Uh, Obviously, COVID, we all all lived through the middle of March when we're like, hey, are are these news? Are these news? Like, is this real? Is this really happening? And then I think March 16th, we kind of, everything was shut down here. Um, what have you seen prices do in the last seven months? Like as you've seen this activity uh, through the course of the summer, have prices still pre- stayed pretty stable? Have gone up, gone down? Like what's happening around that uh, side of things? You know, the prices have done a little bit of a roller coaster. Obviously, when uh, in April when we uh, saw sixty-five percent less sales than what we typically see in an April, that, that's going to have a little bit of an impact on the pricing. Um, you know, year to date, you know. I, it's kind of tough just to kind of go month by month. You know, okay. I think we got to look at the entire year. And if you look at the average price year to date, we're only down by 0.61% overall. Negative. So the average price sitting at 458,149, which is down from 46983. Um, hmm. So pretty, so for all intents and purposes, it's consistent. Mm-hmm. 
It's pretty consistent, yeah. Obviously, if you go into the different uh, sectors, if you go into the apartment sector, I think there's, you know, a lot more pressure on uh, on the prices there. One, apartments, uh, we probably a little overbuilt in the city right now, especially when you're seeing, you know, big developers uh, turning their projects into rental units. Yes. I've... Right, because the resale is just so challenging. And, uh, you know, then you got the COVID factor on top of that as well, where, you know, people are probably having second thoughts about living in a condo building, high density, when you have this virus out there. Mm-hmm. So those two factors are definitely uh, having an impact on the condo market. But, uh, you know, the single family market is definitely... Uh, pretty attractive right now under 600,000 higher price points we have had uh, challenges with that for several years and okay. you know although i will say it's uh, quite surprising we have some you know listings up to 5 million dollars and it's actually quite a bit of activity surprisingly Interesting. so you know but at the same time i think the sellers have also adjusted their expectations on pricing as well so you know, every homeowner, including myself, we all think our house is worth more than what a buyer is willing to pay, especially in a market like we're in. And the reality is that, you know, a lot of sellers are sitting there looking at, you know, the facts and being open to that. And like like you said earlier, like sitting down at the kitchen table, those conversations are not necessarily always fun. And uh, one of the agents on the team, he's got a pretty good icebreaker. And I think it's kind of funny. He kind of starts off the conversation. He's like, all right, we're going to clear off any sharp objects here because we're going to have a real honest conversation because I don't want you to hit me. Yeah, I, and there was I, one time I, he actually. I appreciate, hit, I appreciate setting the stage for what's about. Yeah, to and 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 the one time he actually did have a a uh, elderly lady, late seventies, eighties, uh, who kind of hit him with her her cane <laughs> in a nice gentle way right but uh, <laughs> yeah yeah no, to, get, to get the point across but you're in your 70s you can get away you're whatever age you can get away with it a little bit <laughs> yeah but you know what though like, <laughs> you know from a seller's perspective if you want to sell in today's market you got to make sure that you know you price your properties so it's has a compelling price mm-hmm. because buyers in any market they want value and as long as you can be realistic and price it where you are very competitive on your pricing and you have a property that shows really well, that's turnkey, you will sell with the right marketing plan and the right exposure. Right. Um, There are still people out there for the, like, again, I do appreciate you got to kind of quote unquote, sharpen your pencil and provide, like you you said, you've got to provide value. And I think there was a lot of years you could just throw it up in the market and, and kind of boom, walk away as is. But like anything, I think every business is having to work a little bit harder these days to provide a stronger value proposition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and you know what, uh, with this uh, pandemic, I mean, it has shifted uh, the consumer behavior in a big way to online. Um, you know, people ordering groceries online, obviously Amazon is doing quite well and it's quite convenient. You know, uh, I happened to walk into Chinook Center when they kind of opened the doors again and it was kind of eerie. Was it? I, I, have not, I have not been in. I was not a big mall goer to start with, but I have yeah. not been in. I can only imagine that it's yeah, not, no, not it was. <laughs> quite eerie, you know, walking in there and how many stores have closed and how many stores were, you know, obviously reduced hours. And, you know, if you want to go into the store, they're following all the COVID-19 protocols, which mm-hmm. is awesome, right? We all have a, a part to play in that. But, you know, when it comes to the consumer behavior for real estate, um, you know, we had to shift as well in 
providing more value and meet the consumer where they're at. And that is hmm. they're sitting at home in the comfort of their home because they want to be safe. So how can we then market properties? And we've been using, uh, you know, 3D interior scans since 2017, but we made a decision to now do that on every single property that we list, okay. which is essentially a technology where we have this uh, camera that will scan the interior and then it will stitch it all together, kind of create a dollhouse. But the consumer can basically walk through the house uh, if they have actually uh, virtual goggles, they can actually just put those on and look around like they would uh, use playing one of those virtual games. But it's like they're standing literally inside the house. And this technology basically allows every consumer to view the interior of the home from their house. So essentially, the first showing is it's virtual online. Yeah, it's virtual. And at the same time, it keeps the seller safe less disruptive because there's going to be less you know people just kind of oh, i just want to have a look at it to see what it looks like inside right uh we've all been there we've all done it well you said but 500 this, that, that showing that example in toronto 500 showings I'm, I'm as a homeowner who's sold a home that you just have to move out like you can't be you, you couldn't even be living there if you're going to do 500 showings in a week that's yeah. extreme but like that's just like you said the disruption in your life and the process alone that would be so painful <laughs> i mean let's be real selling your property no fun at all Yep. <laughs> it's uh, disruption. It's inconvenient. It's uh, a lot of work. You got to put in a lot of work to prepare your home, to get it ready for market. And then, you know, if you're running a family with some little ones and yeah. you, you know, a lot of times you have pretty short notice for showing a request and you just got to, you know, oh, I guess we're not having dinner at home today. We're going to eat out and allow people to go into our house. So, yeah, like with this technology, I mean, again, Less disruptive for the sellers, probably keeps them a little safer, fewer showings, but of the showings that are now happening, there are more serious buyers because they've already virtually seen the property. Also incorporating video um, on a lot more properties as well. Obviously, it all depends on how well lit the property is because you can't really manipulate lighting that well in a house. Right. Uh, but, uh, you know. It's it's definitely changed the way that we do business to some degree. We sold several properties virtually as well, where you know we had uh, one particular buyer. The first time they met their agent was actually when the agent handed the keys to them on possession day. When they're when the deal was already closed. That's yeah. yeah, and they bought it. Uh, they were relocating to Calgary for work, and uh, you know. Every single property, the agent went, did a virtual tour basically through video and uh, home inspection all through video. And uh, the property, when they actually took possession, it was better than what they thought it was. So That's they had a really good experience. And, and a lot of people out there will say, I'll never buy a house without seeing it in person. How many people build a house? without seeing it in person because it's just a uh, yeah that's, uh, that's that's a good comparison the new house market you're not seeing it until it's done actually and you saw a show uh, you saw a show home which may or may not been the version of what you're actually building that's exactly yeah no exactly right so i mean builders have been doing this all the time sure they walk into the show and they can see what it could be yeah. it plants that dream that vision however you sit down with a builder to to a custom build or maybe you're building a spec model so you, i mean you have an idea if they have that spec or a version of the show home mm -hmm. but people have been buying real estate without stepping foot in the house for 
quite a long time, especially if they've been building. Interesting when you put that comparison and you're like, yeah, you can't, you're not going to walk through a house. That's a, that's a, that's a net new build. You just, but again, the show home experience and everything is to get you as comfortable as possible with what it might be or that you're yeah. what it'll be. Uh, yeah. Comparison. And from your perspective, and this is just a bit of your own POV, was this the road we were headed down and literally COVID just accelerated it? Because it feels like all of this digital transformation was coming and we were becoming more that way. It just feels like we took five years and compressed it into six months, you know, for just an armchair observation. Oh, you know what? I think you're bang on there. That's the kind of conversations that I've had with other industry leaders around North America. It's like, you know what? This just uh, sped everything up five years, right? Um, Look at Zoom. Look at how many people are doing video conferences, right? Um, and how many companies? Were, hey, uh, you, you've you've lived in Calgary. There's a lot of oil and gas companies that I know that didn't believe that their employees could work from home. That got disproven in literally 48 hours. <laughs> it just yeah. got flipped on its head. I'm like, well, I I guess it did work out. I guess it did work after all. And some of them are are in a rush to go back, but some of them are actually changing their mindsets. So it's I think it's been really interesting. It's just a cultural kind of like you said, left hook and a jab and an uppercut maybe altogether. <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, you know what? I mean, if you look at some of these big companies that have uh, a lot of uh, overhead and office space, it's probably making them kind of rethink things. And I mean, you look at like Canadian companies like uh, Shopify, Yes, <laughs> they moved all virtual, right? And there are many other companies that are considering the same thing as well. So, you know, as uh, sad as it is with the office market in downtown Calgary because of the energy crisis and the vacancy rate down there, it's just going to add more to that potentially. But at the same time with uh, what we were talking about early on with some of these tech companies looking to take advantage of the really attractive uh, rates downtown, mm -hmm. it's, uh, you know, we will figure it out. Right? Yeah, it will. yeah, no, I, I agree. You think about what's the what's the 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 tag along of that is. Hey, if I'm going to be working from home, maybe I need a, a home with an office. Maybe I need a den. Maybe like it changes the whole conversation of, and also where you have to live. I don't need to live Beltline or inner city. You know, some of us who live that close, I still wouldn't trade it because I do love it. But I know a lot of people are like. Oh geez, I don't have to like I don't have to live ten minutes out anymore. I can live half an hour out because I'm only coming to the office once a week. Like it's changing so much of the paradigm of just kind of quote unquote the way it's been forever. <laughs> yeah, and it's also changing the way that people yeah look at their homes and how they live and where they live, right? Uh, do they want to have a short commute to downtown or? If, uh, you know, the company is now allowing people to work from home, maybe they will, you know, look at an acreage or maybe they will, you know, live a little further out of the city and get a bigger house with more rooms. Obviously, we're seeing people looking at, you know, having that dedicated office space is key. Um, soundproofing, yeah. having <laughs> separation from the kids. Uh, you know, even a, a place where the kids can, uh, you know, do homeschooling if that's a thing. I mean, we'll see how the school year goes, yes, right? I think, I think that's up for grabs right now, but you're right. There's a whole different paradigm of you need a classroom in your house and an office and a, and a place for the family to kind of separate from things. Like it changes the dynamic of, you know, th that small little footprint doesn't necessarily meet the needs anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's not, uh, forget about the gym. Yeah, absolutely. I a corner my a corner of my garage is a gym. I don't know about you, but I was a gym guy, and I didn't have a lot of weights at home, and I waited probably a week too long, and then calling around and getting laughed at of like, oh no, you're not going to get weights for at least like six months, man. Talk about an industry that I think sold out literally overnight. Oh yeah, no, I have a friend that runs uh, 
beyond the basics fitness here in town and he provides uh, a lot of fitness equipment to a lot of the facilities and and private individuals and home gyms and that kind of stuff as well and he's like business is crazy yeah you know he can't get in enough uh, equipment because it's just uh, selling out so fast and you know we'll see kind of how things go here i mean if uh, the gyms shut down again and i mean i know that many gyms are kind of open with limited hours and yep. i know here west side rec center where they have basically three options up here on the west side where you know you can book one hour appointments essentially and you have three choices you have a dumbbell station with a bench you have a um a multifunction machine mm-hmm. and a stationary bike and a bench, I believe. And then you have a squat rack and bench. Those are your three options. Oh, wow. It's that regimented. Because I go to Repsol over here, the talis- old talisman, and it, it, they've opened it up and like y- they've got stuff sectioned off, but you can kind of move around and go where you want. It's just spaced out a lot more than it was. But you literally have to book in, like if it's leg day, you book in the squat rack and that's what you get to use. And that's kind of it. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. That's actually, yeah, it's just get, it's all, it makes it so inconvenient. It's hard to make that work. But that's interesting. Yeah. So, and the garage is a good place to have a little gym, right? Yes, it is. Yeah. No, I appreciate all the things that are different, that important in a different way. So, hey, perfect timing. I'm listening to CBC this morning and they're talking about like, hey, like we're predicting that this, this, this boom or this, this cycle of July, August home sales is going to fall off. The future is dark. Nine to 18% price drop. It was a doom and gloom kind of, kind of segment. Curious of your views on kind of what you see going. They talked about lumber costs and affecting prices of new homes. Curious, if we get into the crystal ball a little bit in your world. What do you see in the next six to you know six to twelve? Let's 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 stay let's stay at least inside twelve months maybe and get some thoughts. Oh, the unknown to have that crystal ball. You <laughs> I knew I was going to put you on the spot at least once. Come on. <laughs> well, you know what? I definitely think that the activity that we're seeing in the marketplace right now is obviously because of the pent up um, demand from a post spring market. That in combination with uh, some incredibly low interest rates. Like, I mean, come on, a five year fixed rate mortgage at one point seven four percent. That's crazy. From a, a, a from a pretty major bank, that is pretty attractive. So I mean, we're seeing a lot of first time home buyers entering the market. We're seeing the pent up demand. Um, you know, Calgary's still sitting there with a fifteen percent unemployment rate. Yeah. Clearly, there's going to be some economic challenges moving forward. And another thing to kind of uh, factor in as well is that twenty one percent of Albertans took advantage of the mortgage deferral program. Yeah. That's the highest in the country. Now, is that because as Albertans, we have been through tough times before and we saw this as an opportunity to preserve cash. Right? We've never had an opportunity to defer our mortgage payments because of the collapse in energy prices. No. Right. So is that a true number of 21% of Albertans with a mortgage were in financial trouble and chose to defer their mortgage or had to defer the mortgage? I don't think it's a completely true number. I do, though, believe that there are many Albertans and Calgarians that are impacted 
economically because of the pandemic and the second collapse in energy prices. Like the one-two punch. Yeah. Come on, enough is enough, right? <laughs> um, we, we've had it, right? But at the same time, it is what it is. Uh, where is it going to go moving forward? I definitely think that we are seeing a bit of an inflated marketplace right now, obviously with um, the government's pumping billions. And I mean, if you look south of the border, trillions of dollars into the economy, it kind of creates a little bit of a false economy, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. It's going to be an interesting winter. It will probably start to see some of these sales kind of start to taper off here once the snow hits, which is typical. But, you know, how many of these people that, you know, deferred their mortgages can't continue to pay their mortgage when they have to start paying their mortgages? Are they going to be putting their homes on the market? Um, what's their equity position? Can they price it in the market to sell? Um, you know, so there's going to be some pretty interesting and challenging times for sure. Crystal ball wise, uh, I think it's going to be more or less similar to what we've experienced in the last several years. Okay. Uh, you know, there's going to be challenges. It's not going to be uh, any sort of boom by any means, but I do think that our market will still have downward pressure on pricing and people will continue to buy and sell real estate based on circumstances and needs. Okay. That's no matter what the market is. Right. So there's still going to be obviously people that transact, people that, you know, sell to downsize or people that sell to go into the rental pool. And there's going to be people that are in the rental pool that, hey, look at this as a great opportunity to get into home ownership because they're looking at it from a long-term investment yep. to build equity and to build an asset. There was, there was, it was a barrier to entry. For, you know, I remember I bought my first house back in McKenzie Town in 03 for like 190 grand. And it was a corner lot, detached garage, 1,500 square feet, you know, uh, in Preswick. Like... That, that was accessible to me at that time where, you know, and I was, you know, late twenties and just moved to Calgary. You changed that to recently in that same scenario, that home would be three times that price and, you know, potentially completely inaccessible to me as a 27 year old uh, looking to get into the home market. So there is a certain degree where is it, if it's providing more accessibility for people to get into that market and kind of that dream of home ownership, which I know is still, I know it gets, there's lots of theories around don't own, own rent, all that. I think a lot of people still take a lot of pride and really want to own their own home. So to me, that might be positive. Like, again, trying to find the silver lining here for sure. Yeah. And I mean, and, and let's be real too. If it's going to be like a cliff that we're going to jump off or want to jump off, uh, I do think that the government will step in and have some sort of uh, assistance as well. Mm -hmm. Right. They don't want to have a ton of foreclosures hitting the market. Obviously, no, that's CMHC, bad for everybody. Yeah, yeah it's, it's bad for everyone. So they will try to come out with programs to keep stimulating the economy, to keep, you know, people in their homes and uh, try to obviously preserve, you know, the equities in people's homes for the most part, right? Although, you know, one of the things that I've said before when we've kind of gone through some of these uh, energy collapses before, I mean, it, it's kind of a good little reset for <laughs> society. Because I think we can get really, really comfortable. <laughs> and, you know, when we get comfortable and things are good, you know, we're all humans. We also get a little entitled. 
you know, coming out of school, wanting a job that pays you 130 grand a year so you can buy that new BMW and you can buy that $600,000 infill with 5% down, right? And you want six weeks vacation. Whereas <laughs> people that, you know, perhaps back in the 80s took that same position were starting at 40 grand a year. Yeah, with twenty with twenty percent interest rates on their mortgage. <laughs> yeah, and and you know what, they still survived. So you know, but I think that from it's it's good and it's bad. Obviously, it's bad because you don't want people to have hardship. But at the same time, I think it's a good reminder for everyone to kind of do a little bit of a reset and kind of it forces people to kind of look at their spending, uh, look at their lifestyle, and you know, be a little smarter about it. I think you've, you know, there's a lot of articles out there I've read around, you know, the people that were able to still maintain their revenue have now seen their savings increase because they saw their spending drop. They reprioritized going out for dinner three nights a week and eating at home and maybe getting into cooking. There's been a lot of things like back to you know, we touched on earlier. There's been a lot of positive shifts in in behavior. And, you know, and again, I don't want to minimize there's people that have been out of work and they weren't didn't have any ability to get work depending on their their career. But there's been a lot of people I think that have reprioritized and I'm with you. I think that's kind of a, a resurgence of, okay, wait a second, what's actually important here? And uh, this has forced us all, I think, to relook at things. And again, choosing to find the positives, there's some good in that because uh, you get reckless. Things get too easy. We get soft and we start being, you know, we don't make the best decisions because, <laughs> you know, we think it'll last forever. I'm just sure I agree with you on that. Yeah. And, and you know what, having talked to people that went through, you know, the challenging times that we had in the eighties and they said, you know what, one of the things that, uh, they never wanted to experience again was that. So that forced them to obviously live a lot more with a lot less. Yeah. Right. So save more money and people didn't want to put themselves in that situation. I think that's going to happen now as well. People will remember this. Uh, it's yeah, it's lasted long enough. It's made a mark. You know what I mean? Like if it's a little, like even 08, 09, it felt like a bit of a blip. Like I was here through that. And like, oh, gave her six months or so. It felt slow. And then it seemed to, well, I think we got away pretty lucky where some of the rest of the world was impacted a little bit more gravely from that downturn. And that's my, that was my memory of being in business at the time. These last five years have been very different, obviously. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know what, like in the last five years, like in 2014, um, as a business operator, I made the decision to kind of shift some of my marketing from, online to radio tv and you know it was kind of interesting because i'm like you know what although in 2014 late 2015 when the prices of uh, oil collapsed mm -hmm. again and here i am tied into you know contracts for marketing and that kind of stuff and i'm like well you know what I'm going to double down because typically, you know, we would see this last for a year or two and then we would rebound. Well, <laughs> yep, I see your point. I see, I, see, I see the situation forming. Right. Right. So, I mean, I made a commitment to double down on the marketing one to give our clients more exposure and also from a standpoint of trying to gain market share. Yep. And I've stayed committed to that. Um, although it's lasted a lot longer than initially anticipated. And that was kind of a, a, an interesting thing too, when we had the shutdown of the pandemic, I'm sitting here with a multi six figure a month marketing campaign and locked into contracts. And I'm sitting there going, does this make sense right now? Yeah. Does it make sense to continue to advertise on the radio, advertise on TV, all the billboards? Does that make sense to run while we're competing with all the noise out there in the marketplace from the media. 
So at that time, I actually made a decision, a, a very quick one, just to pause everything. Our, some of our, our advertising partners were very, very, very generous. And it's like, hey, you know what? We still want to keep you as a client. Mm-hmm. Uh, we still want to you know, give you some sort of exposure, whether we change your messaging or change things up a bit. Um, we will continue to do that. So, but without, you know, the contractual obligations, which, you know, that's how, you know, we got to look at our business partners and advertising partners or, you know, who, whatever vendors you're using in business, they're your partners and, you know, they're long-term relationships. And, you know, that made an impact on me for sure. And it made an impact on the business. So that also keeps me loyal to them and uh, remembering that, you know, these people did help out during these times. Are we out of the woods yet? No, we're not. But, um, you know, we will figure out a way to navigate through this together. And it's the same thing when we're looking at our clients. How can we best serve our clients in today's market, ensure that, you know, home sellers get the best exposure and the highest chance of getting top dollar for the house in the current marketplace? And we have a pretty good formula that obviously puts a lot of exposure on their properties and we sell a lot of homes. And for buyers that we're attracting from all over the world and, you know, even helping them uh, buy a property virtual. So we've all kind of shifted and uh, applying all the technologies that are available and embracing it. And, uh, And at the end of the day, we are here serving our clients and just, being that trusted advisor, giving them the information so that they can make an informed decision, whether it's to buy or sell and what is best for their family. Mm-hmm. I have told people, you know, don't sell, stay, keep the house because it's not about, you know, getting the sale. It's about giving them information so that they can make a decision that's best for their family. And sometimes that can mean, you know, telling somebody that's, you know, just took possession of their new build and they're sitting there with their old house looking at selling it or, you know, should they keep that as a rental property and build Mm -hmm. wealth for their family? And I've had those conversations. I've made that advice, Mm -hmm. you know, or if it's sitting down with a developer that's looking to build a condo project, I'm like, dude, um, I'd hold off. I wouldn't dig that hole in the ground to start right now. Mm -hmm. You know, because it's, you know, we all got to make business decisions, whether it's a financial decision for our family or if we we're trying to run a business, we got to make those on a daily basis. And we got to make sure that, sure, we can't predict the future. As you asked me to see the crystal ball in the real estate market. I did, I did. <laughs> right. I mean, and as a business operator, we can't necessarily predict uh, when we didn't. Well, I guess we could kind of predict that we were heading for a shutdown. I mean, myself, I was kind of watching the news of what was happening overseas and and that kind of stuff. So I kind of had a hunch that we were going to go for a shutdown. So, I mean, you can kind of prepare for it, but until it actually hits home, you're like, oh. I I, I was the same. I was doing tons of reading, but even thinking about a shutdown, there's still a moment of like, until like, (laughs) I don't want to say that I say this tongue in cheek. The next time it happens, I'll have a better idea of how it's going to unfold. But even thinking of like, okay, this is going to hit us. There still was a real gap of like, I don't know what this is actually going to be like. And some of it, I think you couldn't, 
you had to experience it to then understand what that was going to be like and have staff working remotely and how clients were going to respond. And there were so many variables because it was, you know, it's hard to plan for something that even though it happened abroad, you still felt like it was going to be different here. I don't know. Anyways, just link, thinking back to like the first couple of weeks of March, what my thoughts were and some of the conversations I had about it and people were like, oh, yeah, even if it happens, it won't be a big deal. Like I think we were, everyone was downplaying it so much of how it would impact us in North America. And we were, we were wrong. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, and we had, you know, we've never gone through a global pandemic in our lifetime. Sure, there's probably generations before us that went through like World War II and World War One, but we really had no other events to kind of uh, mm -hmm. use as a reference for this global pandemic. And, you know, are we going to have another shutdown? I hope not. But I do believe there's actually a pretty good chance we may have a, a second shutdown as we're now seeing the cases spike up again across Canada. I mean, obviously down south of the border, we won't talk about, but yeah, that's a different world. But Montreal, like I was watching some, I'm originally from Quebec, so I was watching some Quebec news and definitely things there and what's happening in Ontario, like as a precursor to what might happen here, it's, it's not going down a good direction to, like you said, to not end up there again. So yeah, I'm, I'm reluctant yeah. to make predictions, but yeah, I'm concerned as well. Mm. Yeah, and that's where we just got it. You know what? And that's where we got to look at everything that's going on out there with the media, social media, all that stuff. People are getting so divisive. Um, we got to come together. We are in this together. We got to respect each other. And we got to, like, if my opinion is if we have to wear masks for a year every time we step out of the house, I would rather do that than to have another shutdown. And as long as we just, comply with you know what the health authorities are putting out there in recommendations and we're not being lazy about masks or hand sanitizing that kind of stuff then we can actually have an impact where we will have it will have less of an impact on us economically mm -hmm. and we can still have some sort of an interaction with other people not over video. Um, <laughs> <laughs> although I think a lot of us are getting more and more comfortable with video because that's another whole scary I, thing. I hate video calls now when someone calls me on the phone. I'm like, hey, I'll just call you back online. Like, well, like it's all good. Like, yeah, at least get to see you. Like, even you and I right now, this is this would this is a better conversation because I can see your facial expressions. Like, I still humans interact so much more than the words we say. <laughs> oh yeah, right. But. Uh, you know, so it's going to be interesting to see where it goes this winter. I, I, I hope for the best, yes. but also prepared for that. It's going to be a challenge, but we're in this together and we'll get through it together. And I know that, you know, as Calgarians, we are resilient, we are resourceful and uh, we're positive, you know, for the most part. And uh, we just got to be there and be kind to each other and we will get through this however long it will take. It'll be something that we'll tell our grandkids about, right? Yes, absolutely. It still comes down to being good people, right? And just like in Calgary, Calgarians, it, it is an incredible sense of community here. And I joke, it's the biggest small town I've ever lived in. And I grew up in a small town, so I speak from that with a, a certain degree of authority. But uh, the ability to come together, to be supportive, to connect with people and reach out and ask for help and people being willing to help you like almost instantly. Calgary, that is a that is a superpower that we have as a city. And I think that that, that is what's going to take us forward. I'm still very bullish on Calgary. There's some. There's a road ahead, but in the long run, I, it's 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 absolutely going to be the best place to be. 100. I don't question that. Mm. 
Yeah, and you know what? I also think it's something that we kind of take for granted as well. You know, traveling throughout the world and throughout North America, whenever I come home and I'm like, ah, it's so nice to be home. Like, we live in such a beautiful city. It's clean. People are so friendly. And it is a special place. It is. You know, and, and I do think that we kind of take it for granted at times. It's you know? hard. Yeah. That's, isn't that the human condition a little bit? Like you just, everything becomes normalized, <laughs> but you're right. Yeah. And I know right now traveling is a little bit difficult. Hence, hence why I, the value of travel, like just gives you good perspective. And yes, there's no place like home. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it's interesting. I was uh, at an open house on the weekend and uh, chatting with some people that were in town from Toronto and uh, they were looking at relocating to Calgary because mm -hmm. of the fact that out there, house price, the average house price is close to a million dollars. Yep. And it just simply just wasn't affordable for these people. And we were talking, you know, about some of the, the, the benefits of living in Calgary. And one of the things is, you know, our rush hour. People like Calgarians, they complain about, you know, the construction traffic and the rush hour that we had. It's nothing. Or, it's nothing. It's nothing. Like, yeah, like you tell, well, if you're going to complain, call up somebody in Toronto and complain about rush hour and they'll probably laugh at you because <laughs> yes. their rush hour is well over two hours each way. Um, so just think about that. Four hours it's in the car driving to and from work. Toronto, that like an hour to two hour commute is standard fare in Toronto. Like uh, again, quality of life that we have here. You know, right. But you need perspective because if the 15 minute inconvenience on Deerfoot is all you know, it's pretty inconvenient. But you go sit on the 401 for two hours and you know what inconvenience is really all about. <laughs> Yeah, that or go to Los Angeles. <laughs> yes, yeah, the, the two, two extreme comparisons. Well, most, a lot of big U.S. cities, traffic is a whole other thing. Well, Justin, I appreciate your, your perspective today on some of like, here's the numbers and here's the reality of kind of the journey we've been on. And if you've lived in Calgary for 20, uh, for as long as some of us have, you go, oh yeah, I remember that and that little roller coaster. And But thinking about where we are now and hearing your perspective. And also, I really appreciated just how positive you are on Calgary. And you're out there dealing with people every day. And to hear that level of optimism you have just for the human race, or certainly the, you know us Calgarians, uh, that was really positive. So I appreciate your perspectives on all fronts today. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Tyler. Thanks for having me on. It was a pleasure. What's the, what's the best way? Obviously, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Uh, website? What, what's, where should I go? Mm. Uh, so you can go to justinhaver.com or even calgary.com. It's uh, another website that we operate, and you can also oh, find nice, me on nice Facebook. Nice job on locking down calgary.com, by the way. <laughs> uh, thank you. That could be a whole other podcast. Yes, I'm sure. Yes, the URL game. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and then, um, yeah, you can find me on Instagram at Justin Haver or Justin Haver team. You can uh, call our office at 403-217-0003. And uh, yeah, that's about it. That's awesome, Justin. Thank you, thank you so much. And I uh, really appreciate your perspective today. Thanks, Tyler.